Panther Creek is going to do Susical the Musical. Now, I'm not quite sure what this says about the sermon that I'm getting ready to preach, but somebody in the first hour sent me the Seuss Gospel. And it is a poem that I am going to read to you right now. And it goes like this. I will not preach the gospel in a box. I will not preach it to a fox. I will preach it to all of you. I will preach even if you don't want me to. You may say, I do not like the gospel, Mr. Matt Rice. I do not like it. It's not nice. But try it, try it, and it will suffice. Then you may say, I like it. I like it, Mr. Matt Rice. It is nice, it will entice, and it might even listen to it as you preach it twice. That was by Mr. Dave McKay, who saw our set and uh, decided to write a poem for us to start our service with this morning. Listen, I, I want to welcome you here. I'm so excited about what we're doing and where we're going. I want to sort of telegraph sort of the pass over the next two weeks. Next week, we have an opportunity to have Adam King, who's going to be speaking next week. And I want to start off the sermon praying for him. And then after that, of course, on April the 20th, it's Easter Sunday. And you have a great opportunity to invite people who don't normally come to church, come to church. People are really aware of church and Easter and what that means. And so they're a little bit more open on that day than any other day. And so what I want to do is I want to kick off the sermon. I want to pray this morning for Adam who preaches the next week and then Brian who will preach our Easter service and the people that are going to be here. So go with me in prayer. God, thank you so much for not only what we get to do today, but what we get to do tomorrow, the next day, and even over the next couple of weeks. I thank you for Adam and I thank you, Lord, for his ministry to the students and I thank you, Lord, for how you have raised him and used him to really communicate truth and to be just a light in their lives. And I pray for him this week as he prepares. And God, that you would prepare his heart, use him, help him to really seek you and, and open the text and be with him as he speaks next week. I also pray for Brian. Easter Sunday is a great, great opportunity. It comes every year. And people are aware of uh, what the church does and what the church is about. And I pray that we as believers will step up and invite people to come to church on that day and that God that you would be with the message and that it would be very clear and that the message would would penetrate hearts and cause people to repent and believe in you we do what we do because of what you have done for us and I pray that we'll not get over that nor get through it we love you we thank you for this day and we thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible it's in your name I pray amen well, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We definitely are going to get there. A couple of things that we need to do is in, in order of review, we're doing a two-week sermon series. I've been doing a two-week sermon series on what it means to be connected. Last week, in the form of review, we realized that we need each other, that we're not designed to live this life apart. We have this theology of isolationism, that you don't need me, I don't need you, and we don't need to be connected. And that's not what the Bible teaches and not what Scripture teaches and not what Jesus did. He died so that we could be connected to each other, connected to his purpose. But in, in addition to that, it's not simply just being connected. It's not simply just being a life group. And by the way, you should be in a life group. And if you want to learn more about that, see me after the service. I've got a little form that you can fill out online to help you get connected to a life group because life Together is better. We're, we're, we're stronger when we're doing life together. But in addition to just doing life together, what happens when we do life together is we're aware of how we can care for each other. Specifically, not just generally, not just the high five and asking the same question over and over again. How's the job? How's the family? 
Are you reading your Bible? But, but a little bit deeper than that. We are designed not only to be connected, but we're designed to, to care for each other. You see, but there's, there's a little bit of a problem that gets in the way of how we care for each other. The setting that God has given us to sort of flesh this out is the church. And we've said over and over again that God has decided to change the world or use the church as the vehicle by which he's gonna change the world. That's what he has sovereignly chosen to do is to use the, the little C to impact the larger community of faith. And he's gonna do that. And he uses the Bible when the Bible is taught, the word does not return void. We're strengthened in our faith. We know who Jesus is. We know that we're sinners. We know that we can't live this life apart from anyone else but him and it's all for him. But of course, what gets in the way of that? What gets in the way of that is that sin that robs us and tells us, I don't need anybody. I don't need to care about anybody but myself. You, you see, the church is basically filled with people. The church is filled with people. Here's who, here's who are here on, an, on any given Sunday and every, any given month. The church is full of people who can't pay their bills. The church is full of people who will one day maybe get cancer. And suffer. The church is full of people whose marriage is tough, and there's, the church is full of people whose marriage is beautiful. And my wife and I were at a restaurant the other day. This was actually Friday night. The kids were away. We were sitting at Bad Daddy's in Morrisville, and I will tell you this. I pray that there will not be anybody at Northwest Community Church that will dress up as Captain America with their girl on his arm and go into a movie. I pray that we will not have to care for you or counsel you over that. No, I kid you not. We were sitting outside of a restaurant. The movie Captain America had started, and this guy dressed up in full Captain America garb with his girl dressed up as Black Widow was walking into the movie theater. And I promise you, if you do that here at Northwest Community Church, you will be under church discipline. We will have extra care and praying and laying on of hands if that's what you're gonna be doing. But again, the, the church is full of people who are struggling to parent their teens. The church is full of people who don't really like their jobs. There's churches full of people who question their faith and struggle with just parenting their young kids. The church is full of people who are depressed. The church is full of people who are stressed. The church is full of people who have new babies who won't sleep through the night and are struggling on how to feed them and care for them and wondering, this is supposed to be so good. Why is it so hard? The church is full of people who love Jesus and want to know him more. The church is full of people who have husbands who walk out emotionally and sometimes walk out physically. The church is full of people who love their jobs and the church is full of people who don't like their jobs. And there's churches full of people who have parents who get ill and need constant care and you can't provide that care as an adult and a parent to your kids. This is past week. My mother-in-law and father-in-law had to make one of the most, the toughest decision of their life and put, their, put my 93-year-old wife's grandmother into a nursing home and pledged that they would never be able to do that, but situations came as they were, and on Thursday, they had to bring her to a nursing home. And there's lots of people in our church that are faced with some of those same decisions on how in the world do I care for them, but at the same time, I'm hurting and I'm lonely and I need for someone to care for me. And they're asking that question. The church is full of people who have made bad decisions. The church is full of people who are single and lonely. And the church is full of people who at one time or another have had a miscarriage or two. 
And a church is full of people who want to have kids, but for some unexplained reason are going through infertility and, and thinking that God is judging them because that they can't have or be someone they feel like they were created to be, and that's a mom. And the church is full of people who know Jesus and believe, but they don't believe that anyone cares. And the church is full of people who suffer from extreme anxiety. And here's the key, and I don't want you to miss this. And the church is full of people who are commanded to care for one another. The Bible's very clear about that. I want you to, I'm going to read a couple of verses, some that are very familiar that we've called. You know, what is, what is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is that Jesus came to save us, to redeem us, that Jesus plus nothing is everything. And then it's fleshed out on what we do with one another. And part of that is just biblical care and loving each other. Because of sin, it has robbed us. It has robbed us of really believing consistently those truths, those promises that God has. And we are together so that we might remind each other and care for each other. Not simply just be connected like we talked about last week, but really to care. Here's what a couple of verses will say. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Very familiar to each of you because of our study in Galatians. But it says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Matthew chapter 22 says just that. 22.36-40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what's the rest part? Love your neighbor as yourself. And all of these verses help us to understand that we're not here just to take care of ourselves, but we're here to really rally behind the family of God to help them uncover and know and live out the truths of the gospel. And 1 John 4, 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In 1 John three eighteen, it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, but indeed and in truth. You see, here, here is the key. Our text this morning, I think, will help us at the end of the day when we're all said and done, when we finish this morning. I believe that our text today will help us, spur us on to understand how we can care for one another. I, I want to come with, to take a look at the text and look at what the mind of Christ is based on Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And then I want to help us unpack what that means and what do we do on a daily basis and how we, how we care for one another. I think sometimes when we talk about care, we really don't want the help. We think we can do it all by ourselves. Sin robs us of asking for help. We need it, but sometimes we turn it away. For an example, I, I was at, a, at my old church, my old church back in North Raleigh when I was in seminary. And we were at the church and we had a food pantry. And so we were known in the community of having a food pantry where people could come and get some food and stuff. And there was this one Sunday morning where this guy was uh, obviously homeless and was just walking back the glass of the room that we were in. And of course you have kids in the inside, you wanna protect the building, you wanna, you wanna care for people, but you wanna also protect. And so what do you do? And so I went outside to talk to the guy I brought another friend with me, and so we went out and we asked him a question, and he says, I've got good news. I said, wow, I was getting ready to tell you some good news. And he said, I've got good news. 
I got a job. And it's in Garner. And he said, but I need bus money to get me to Garner. And I said, well, how much is a bus? And he says, it's $1.25 one way. The, the job I start tomorrow, I just am spending this Sunday to get from North Raleigh all the way to Gardner. And I was hoping you might be able to help me. Man, I opened my, turned up, got my wallet out. I opened it. And what I saw in there was a $10 bill and a $20 bill. And I could tell that he had not been drinking Diet Coke. You know what I mean? And I sat there perplexed. I want to care for you. I want to extend Jesus to you. But I also want to be bold. How I care for you is not enable you. And so I looked over and I said, all right, um, 10 or a 20. Well, his eyes got really big because he saw a $10 bill. And I was a little perplexed. And so I held the $10 bill and I said, I'm going to give you this money. But before I give you the money, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God would use this money to help you and that you would be cared for. I said, you pray with me? He said, yeah, sure, I'll pray with you. And I prayed, and I want to tell you something. I got a little Pentecostal in my prayer. And let me mean by that. I prayed the name of Jesus all over this guy. I said, dear Jesus, if this man uses this money for anything but food, something to drink, non-alcoholic, no drugs, I pray in Jesus' name, you will make him sick as a dog. I pray, God, you would make him miserable, that he would not be able to walk, he would not be able to talk because he is so overwhelmed for disobeying and and taking advantage of someone who is caring for him. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And I looked at him in his face, and his eyes were like this big, and he says, "Um, I don't need it. That's all right. I don't need it. I don't want it. I said, oh, nobody, oh, nobody, it's yours. Put it in his hand and said, you have a great day. God bless you. And he sat there with the money in his hand and was like looking at me like, please don't make me take this money. <laughs> please don't make me take this money. But, but here, is the, here is the issue. Here's the issue. There are some people in the world that are saying, I need you to care for me, but they want it on their terms. But I believe what God has done is brought us together to where the gospel is preached, which we do. And I tell you, we do it very clearly and very boldly. You cannot sit through a sermon series with Brian Iser and not hear the gospel preached on an everyday basis. And because of that, I believe we understand what it means to live out the gospel and to care for people. And so in here today, in here today, we have each other to reach out, to care for, to love, to honor God, to bring fame to his name, to bring glory to him when we reach out and we care for each other. And I think Philippians chapter two, one through five specifically, really help us uncover what is at the heart of caring for each other. Is it our actions? I believe our actions are important, but I believe it's the mind first. When we wrap our, our hearts around the mind of Christ, it will then spur us on to love and good deeds based on not what we do, but based on what Christ has already done. And I think Philippians is a great place for us to really take a look at the heart and the mind of Christ so that we can have an attitude where we look out for the interest of others better than ourselves and not in selfishness or or vain conceit. So let's take a look at Philippians. Remember the the letter was written to the Philippian churches and uh, this letter was known as the joy letter. I love the verse 1-6 where it said, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. I want to tell you something. I love that verse that the God of the universe said, what I began in you, trust me, I'm going to complete. 
And so whatever stuff you're going through right now, I want you to know that that is used to help complete you, to help, help God to mold you into the man and the woman that he wants you to be. But let's go ahead and take a look at Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and I'm gonna read in verse, starting in verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit and any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind in among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so I believe that the key to understanding how we live out this humility that Christ is talking about is first understanding the mind of Christ. And when we understand the mind of Christ, we can apply it in how we care for one another. So the key, I get again, is, is in verse five. Take a look at the mind of Christ as it says in, in a couple of verses I'm gonna read to you. The mind of Christ is fleshed out in terms of care. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 35, it says this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you have memorized that verse for a long time. Come to me that are all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Basically what he's saying is, I know that what's on you, you are overwhelmed, and I want you to come to me because I'm gonna give you that rest. I care for you, I love you, and I wanna give you rest. And then he comes to Matthew 9, 36, which I absolutely love, Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 40. Jesus is standing up on a hill and he looks down at the multitudes and this is what is said. When he saw the multitudes, notice he was aware. He is aware of what's going on in your life right here, right now and knows how you need to be cared for and can care for you better than anyone else and can equip people around you to help care for you. And it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. When it says he had compassion, some translations say he was moved with compassion, which means he was absolutely, nearly physically sick when he looked on the multitudes and said, they don't have a shepherd. They don't have someone to teach them. And it says, because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So when God looks down on your life, he understands, he is moved with compassion for you because he knows exactly what is best for us. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, it says this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? Because he cares for them. And in, in chapter five, it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. This mind that is in Christ Jesus was looking out for the interest of others as a result, and that was a result of doing what? Of wanting to glorify God. And that's what the Jesus desired to do more than anything in the world is to honor God. And as a result, he looks out for us. So let's take a look at what, it, what this mind looks like. What is this mind that is talked about in, verse, in chapter five, verse five? What, is it, what does it look like? The mind is marked by a unity of the body. Remember the context of the book of Philippians is written to the church. It's written to the church to basically get them all on one page. And he says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, I just want to stop and say, so if there, because what it seems to suggest by just reading it 
at face value is that there might be encouragement in Christ, but there also might not be encouragement in Christ. But you and I know the gospel. We understand that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who died for us, who is there to redeem us. So we know that it's not if there is encouragement, we know that there is encouragement. The better translation of this section is basically because there is encouragement or since there is encouragement. And then he builds up into what it means to have the mind of Christ. So take a look, and if we read it this way, because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is the comfort from love, because we have the participation of the Spirit, because of the affection and sympathy, so when we look at the encouragement, we see that there is a counselor. There is God himself who counsels us, who, who, in, who gives us courage to know what is right and do what is right. There is great love when we understand that God loves us unconditionally. That word agape is continually, continually, regardless of situation or circumstance. We know that the, there is participation of the Spirit because when we come to Jesus, the Spirit is given in us to reveal to us, to convict us of sin and to show us what is right show us who needs the loving care of Jesus that we call ourselves a group of, a church in, fellowship together. And he says, hey, there's great compassion, the love and affection of God that has for us. He says, okay, so since you have all of this, since you've got all this, here's what I want you to see. Go to verse two. I want you to complete my joy. Paul loved the Philippians. He loved who they were. He loved what they were wrestling with. And he wanted their joy to be complete. He went real personal, a personal desire. I want them to be complete. I want them to understand everything there is to know about Jesus. Then he continues. Complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind. Well, what mind is that? That's the mind of Christ and it's conditioned upon a unity. The same mind means think of the same thing, not be the same person. We have gifts, we have talents that we bring to the table, but it's on the bigger scheme of things, I want you to be on the same mind. I want the main thing to be the main thing. I want you to have the same love. That's love for people equally and ongoing. It's not racist, it's not showing favoritism. I'll help you because you're from my side of town. It's not that way. It is a same love, a love for all people equally. And then it's a full accord, being full accord, which means there is one purpose and one purpose that we're here to do. And that purpose, again, like I've said, is to glorify God. And so this mind that he's asking us to take on and, and an example of that through Christ is this mind is marked by a unity of the body. And not only that, number two, this mind is marked by putting others first. Verse two says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So he starts with the negative. Listen, I don't want you to do this because I believe he starts with the negative because he realizes that we are naturally ingrained to drift towards things that honor and glorify us. Selfish ambition is basically um, doing things for personal gain with no regard for others. Conceit is a highly exaggerated self view of your, a view of yourself. I don't know if you've sat down with someone and all of a sudden you just names are dropped all over the floor by, by people they know and things that they've done. It's an overinflated self-image. It's being wise in your own eyes and it's name, name dropping. But constantly talking about what you have done in overselling yourself, as I said. Ellen DeGeneres tweeted a selfie at the 
what was it, the Grammys or the Oscars? I couldn't remember if it was the Grammys or the Oscars. I think it was the Grammys, right? Okay, it was the Oscars. Right before I got up here, Bill told me what it was and I completely forgot. But you remember what Ellen DeGeneres did? She took what's called a selfie, right? And it was tweeted, retweeted 870,000 times that night, which was a world record. Now, I, I read an article this week called How to Be Selfless in a Selfie Culture. And here's what it says. The selfie has made a tremendous cultural impact, so much so that the Oxford Dictionary named selfie the 2013 word of the year. Who can blame them? Last year alone, the use of the word and the likely practice of it went up an astounding 17,000%. This isn't necessarily a new phenomenon. Self-portraits have been in existence since the invention of photography. But with the drawl of social media, we now live in a world where self-value lies in how many people like a picture, dramatic pause, that you take of yourself. While it can be relatively harmless, and I largely believe that, it's relatively harmless and fun, right? There's definitely a part of the selfie phenomenon that makes us think of words like self-obsession. And so here's, here's what we have to understand. Here's what the text in this mind is demonstrated by. The text, the text teaches us that, that it's by selfish ambition and selfishness. I want you to walk away from that. I want you to abstain from that. That's not what I'm teaching. I want you to stay away from conceit. Here's what I want you to be about. This mark of the mind of Christ is in humility. It says, but in humility, which is the very opposite of pride or conceit, a bedrock of the Christian character and foundational to the care ministry of our church is when we esteem others better than ourselves. Verse three says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm a parent of four kids, and this is the hardest lesson in the world that I'm teaching myself and also teaching my kids. Because here's what happens when we run to the car. I call, I'm sitting up front. You know, or I get this first, or I want this first. And to say that you're going second in a family of four, it's like I absolutely just took away all their stuff to say that you're gonna go second and not go first. Because it is ingrained in us that we are in charge, that we are the center. And the gospel teaches just the complete opposite of that. When this is present, our lives in our church will have the mind of Christ and take care of people better than we've ever cared for them in the world. Number three, I want you to see this. The mind is marked by being intentional. Last week we saw a video of Carrie and Julie Smith and one of the things they said during the video is in order to be involved in a life group, it's you as a life group leader must be intentional but you as someone who wants to be in a life group, you must be intentional also. And where does this come from? Look at verse four. Let each of you look. To look means to observe something, to be intentional, to give close attention to. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 40, which we've already talked about, it was very, very clear that Jesus saw and was moved with compassion. He was aware. And here's what happens when we have the mind of Christ. When we have this mind of Christ and we're walking in unity and walking in humility, then we're able to look and see people the way that Jesus would see them and care for them the way we are commanded to. 
And I know this, all of us are hurting at one time or another. We're either in a, in a situation or going through a situation or coming out of one. And it's deep and it's hurtful and relationships are tough. And God has entrusted us to do something supernatural and that's care for each other. The way we get to that place is understanding the mind of Christ, the humility, and being intentional to do just that. I think C.J. Mahaney said it this way. He said, what are we supposed to do when we care for each other? Well, caring involves five components. He said, caring involves when we comfort each other. The Bible says we mourn with those who mourn and comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He also goes on to say, we, when we counsel each other, and what I'm talking about here is not, hey, let's come lay on my couch, let me listen to you for 45 minutes, and you're done, see you next week. That's not the type of counsel we're talking about. The type of counsel that is is just doing life and living life together. And being aware of, of things that are going on in your life, your job, your family. It's, it's taking that interest that I'm so wrapped up in myself and saying, I want to look like Jesus. I want to have the mind of Christ and caring for each other. Number three, it's when we encourage each other. Inspire to urge forward. He also, C.J. Mahaney also says, when we correct each other. I think one of the greatest ways that we can correct each other is when we call each other out. You're wrong. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. This is not right, this mind is not right, this, these actions are not right, and great care has not, is not always positive, encouraging, and fluffy. It's hard, it's dirty, and it's biblical. And he also goes on to say is when we, when we help each other. What I mean by help each other is, I think what he means is that when we um, physically and materially, when we understand that faith without works is dead, when we understand that maybe there's something at your house that needs to be fixed or something in your yard that needs to be cut or whatever the case might be, when we help each other. What I want to do is I want to close with a couple of things right now, and that's just some actual action steps on how we care for one another. You sit there and say, okay, Matt, this mind of Christ, he, I'm overwhelmed by what Jesus did, and I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to be unified among the body. I want to have this humility where I'm looking out not only for my own interest, but the interest of others. I want to be able to see. I want to be able to be aware. But, but how specifically do I do that? And I want to give you just a couple of real examples. Our church is filled with young families. Our church is also at the same time filled with families that have kids who are either in school, in college, or left the house. So we have a bunch of young families with kids that are like five and under and they're all home and mom is staying at home or both parents are working and all of a sudden it is like overwhelmed by just caring for people, investing in the gospel and all of a sudden you've got, man, we, we, we just don't even know each other and so how do you care for people when we, we're in a body like this? Here's my example is you find a couple in this church, or you come to me, and I'll point you to a couple, and you do this. You say, I'm gonna take care of your kids for you to go on a date. You go, you're going out from six o'clock to 10 o'clock. I'm gonna feed your kids. I'm gonna give you a gift card so that you can go out to eat because I believe that the way that I can care for you and your family is to take care of your children, invest the gospel in them for the four hours that I have them, and let God strengthen your relationship with each other while you just go have a meal without mommy, 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 and daddy, daddy, daddy. And our church 
has the opportunity to have both people at this place. A lot of times churches will have just a certain demographic, but God in his sovereignty has put both people in this place that we have all of these new babies and new families and growing families and they just need to be cared for. And we have the opportunity to do just that by giving them a date and sending them out and allowing them to take care of their kids. Here's the best part about it. I encourage you, for those of you that will babysit, it's called the grandparent taillight principle. You understand what I'm talking about? The car will come, pick the kids up, and it will leave, and you can see that car go. So it's not all the time, right? It's just take advantage of doing just that. This happened to my wife and I recently. The second one is we went to the mail, and we had a card in there. And it was handwritten. And it was just a card saying thanks. I can't tell you what that did for my wife and I. How encouraged we were from someone to just take the time, not an email, not a text message, but just a personal card to say, man, we just care and want to thank you for what you guys are doing. That is so simple but yet so forgotten, right? I encourage you to get some cards, keep them at your house, and look at people that you're doing life with in your life group at church and take advantage of just sending them something saying, hey, I encourage you, keep fighting, thanks for what you do, because we all need those kinds of things. And then there's a couple of things too. We've been blessed to have some people that Carolina preserve, and we've been able to take care of them and watch over them. We have the opportunity to take care of them. One life group, I mentioned it last week, they, they go two times a year and they change air filters and clean gutters and do um, the batteries and the smoke detectors. Here is an opportunity, a real life opportunity for us to sit there and say, I'm not just gonna be interested about myself, I'm gonna look out for the interest of others. And I'm gonna be the hands and I'm gonna be the feet of Jesus, I'm gonna do that at my local church. And so that's one way you can do that. And, Lastly, it's just really simple. Call someone up, ask them to go to coffee. Sit down, listen, encourage, give advice. And when the opportunity comes, rebuke where rebuke is needed, correction where correction is needed, help where help is needed. But at the same time, here's what it is that I'm so concerned for about our church and aware of. I don't want us to lose how we connect and care for people as we continue to get bigger. As we continue to be bold with the gospel, people will come. What is necessary for us to be connected to others and care for others is having the mind of Christ. So let's care for each other by being unified and because of what Christ has done, by choosing to look out for the interest of others and being intentional about looking out for the needs that are around us. And above all, don't let anybody wear a Captain America suit to the movies on opening day. Can I get an amen? Amen. I love you guys. I love caring for you and caring with you. And I pray that God would be greatly honored by how we connect to each other and how we care for each other. And it would be a great demonstration of the beautiful, beautiful gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of understanding the mind of Christ. Thank you, God, for the unity that he showed and he prayed for. Thank you for the humility that he demonstrated by going to the cross. And when we look at that humility, God, ours pales an example to what he would do, but let us define our humility not by just doing good things and checking them off. I pray that you would allow us to define our humility by our true belief, our true belief, 
that other people are more significant than us. And I pray that we would look, we would observe, we would be aware, and that God, you would move us to act in love and care. Above all, before we do those things, help us to have the mind of Christ. And never forget that where the power comes from is from you. Where the definition is from is from you. We read all of the Bible and all of the Bible is about you. It is for you. It is because of you. And the reason we get to care for other people, the reason we get to love other people is because you first loved us. You first cared for us. You first demonstrated to us what it means to live in humility. You went to the cross. You did not have to. You obeyed the Father. And because of that, we're here today and have the opportunity to be cared for and care for others. God, I love you. I thank you that we can be connected first to you and then to each other. May you be glorified by all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.